Welcome to Definitely Something with your host, Lucas Bean. With that said, bored Elon Musk. Man, I have been a fan of yours for definitely years before I even got to know you on Twitter. I was following you for a good long time. And uh, I can see why you've grown a lot. But I, uh, I, I have to know, man, like the first thing I, I instantly want to know is your origin story because it's just a, it's, ama- it's an amazing account. Your uh, your responses, your tweets, everything are just like spot on every single time. So I want to know, like, like is uh, tell me tell me about board like Bordy Allen Musk account. And tell me why like um, you know it's that's your pseudonym and, that, and that's the reason why you you basically you stay behind that pseudonym for right now. Yeah, for right now is a, is an interesting way to put it. Um, I might be working on slightly adjusting my username uh, if things go the way I want, but for now. Uh, Bored Elon Musk is the is the pseudonym, and um, it started uh, just over nine years ago now, and uh, it kind of evolved, uh, especially in the last two years. But at first, very much hyper focused on parodying Elon Musk, who at that time was a fairly notable person, but nowhere near the popularity is today. Um, and so the the inspiration for for me um, was, you know, Twitter had been a platform I had used for quite a while, and uh, it it really works well for comedy and just, you know, very brief um, storytelling. And so the day that, that real Elon um, published a white paper for something called the Hyperloop, uh, it kind of dawned on me like, okay, this is a person with, you know, a lot of, a lot of influence, a lot of power, a lot of money um, and a lot of projects and companies to run. And, and yet he still took the time while he was like, you know, not working on all those things to put out this idea for a high-speed train underground. And, uh, and so that, that basically just triggered this idea of like, what else does he think about in terms of just stupid ideas or inventions or solutions to problems? And, uh, and that's really where the board, you know, the board version of Elon Musk came about. And I'd like to think that I was the first person to kind of put the word board out into, you know, mainstream Twitter. Obviously now you've got the, the Yacht Club and, all these other things uh, that, that use the word board, but I, I, I'd like to pat myself on the back in terms of just putting the spotlight on that word. So, um, you know, fast forward to a couple of years ago, um, it really was sort of a one dimensional uh, character. I didn't respond to people. I didn't do voice chats. I didn't really engage with people in any way. It was just kind of a side project for me. Um, but over time, uh, as I did start to actually, you know, have conversations with folks and do partnerships and, uh, and engage and share my, my, my wisdom that turned into opportunity, whether it was, you know, helping startups as an advisor, investing in companies and eventually starting my own, my own thing. So, um, you know, as much as I kind of liked playing that, that very singular type of character, um, it has been a far more interesting to me, the person, um, to show a bit more about myself and, and sort of have a bit more individuality. So it's gone through a change. Uh, a lot of people kind of miss the, the classic Bordelon, which was, you know, simple inventions every day and just making you chuckle, but, you know, doing that for almost a decade, it, it's hard and it's kind of tiring and, and, <laughs> and it's boring. Right. So, um, I, I like this idea of kind of changing who this character is over time. And right now, um, you're talking to somebody who is, you know, interested in a variety of things, in, including gaming and crypto and tech in the future um, and content. So that's what brings us to today. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wonder, is, is there something of value to being anonymous versus not being anonymous? 
Like, do you see the value in being like having the anonymity versus, you know, being, being who you truly are behind the, behind the scenes? The, the number one pro uh, is that it just gives you a little bit of creative freedom. I think most people are uh, hesitant to fail in public, look stupid, um, try something that doesn't feel on brand for them. And so whenever I'm talking about kind of the, the benefits of pseudonymity, to offset some of the negative storylines around fraud and, you know, doing nefarious things. It's really just like being able to partition your identity. If during the day you're an accountant and you work for a certain company, that's, that's one piece of your identity at night. You're a musician or you're really interested in dungeons and dragons. You don't have to bring your full self to these really specific interest areas that you have. So that's kind of, for me, one of the one of the most appealing things about a pseudonym, whether it's one or, or many, is you can just bring certain elements of your interest, of your experience, um, to the thing that is that is valuable and necessary without you know bringing your entire self that maybe isn't relevant. Um, the the downsides are you know it's somewhat limiting sometimes. Not everybody is comfortable working with someone who doesn't reveal their real ID, especially if it's from a, from a business perspective. But that's changing pretty quickly um, in the last two to three years, especially. It feels like in the world of crypto in particular, uh, people are more willing to to give you trust and sort of study what you've done on chain and in, in public to know if you are somebody who can be trusted or not. But in my case, you know, I, I have been around for nine years. I, I'd like to think that I've created a reputation, which is uh, you know, one that is trustworthy and kind. And, um, and I have just as much to lose at this point as somebody who is using their real name, because, you know, if, if this, if this identity is, um, a channel of opportunity for me, um, and has a reputation, um, I have just as much to lose. So yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm trying to be a, a positive example of what it looks like to, you know, be pseudonymous or anonymous online and, and how to do it the right way. Yeah, I love that. I mean, you you really did create an alter ego here that I mean, you've invested time and like a lot of a lot of effort in the into this person. And uh I mean, it really is theoretically it really is you. You know what I mean? You you're just going by board. So that's the interesting part. Do you think uh was this your first like crack at like doing like a like a pseudonym account or do, have you done it before? Have you made multiple ones? Have you, you know? Like no, yeah, I took a few swings uh, before uh, with other characters, and none of them hit. And uh, you know, Elon was was the one that 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 made it. Um, and it was a little bit of luck, and also just picking somebody who you know later we'd all find out would become one of the most influential Twitter users on the planet. Um, but no, it, it it took a few tries. Yeah, I mean, I always liken it to um, to video game developers, and and I think of the game Angry Birds. If you remember that from a few years ago. That was like the sure. 47th game that that game studio produced and everything else was a flop, but they tried a bunch of different stuff and, and that was the one that hit. So um, yeah, had made a few attempts, had done a bunch of other kind of internet experiments um, and, you know, they were fun, educational, but this was the one that took hold. And so um, I ran with it and, and continued to be consistent with it. And I'm most proud that um, you know, it's always been me. Like I don't, I don't have a team. I don't have people writing for me. It's just, you know, stuff that's come into my mind and, uh, probably have underutilized this thing <laughs> to be honest. But, um, the best part I think so far is just 
the conversations I've been able to have behind the scenes. It's easy to DM people. It's easy to get access to people that sort of real me in the real world probably wouldn't. Um, whether that's good or bad, I don't know. But um, it's it's afforded me a lot of interesting opportunities, and I've I've tried to take advantage of those uh, in, in you know ways that are mutually beneficial. Yeah, it seems really cool. I would like uh, sometimes I go to events and I'm always like, that'd be kind of cool to like be behind the scenes, like not have someone know who I am at an event. And, you know, chat it up with them and then go, you know, what, my favorite, account, you know, these are my top three favorite accounts on Twitter <laughs> and like mention, you know what I mean? Like if I were you, I'd be like, yeah, I really love that. Where do you love, where do you love to see what they actually have? Well, to now say I gotta about. be careful. Cause like now that I'm <laughs> using my voice, you know, people might recognize me. Yeah, there's no doubt. I'm actually good with voices too. I, I, I recognized a, uh, a person who was not docs the other day at an event and I was just like, wait a minute. I go, excuse me. I, I like walked over to him under my breath, I go, you're this. And they're like, yeah, don't say anything. I'm like, yeah, don't worry. I won't dox you, but it's definitely you. I could hear it because I've been in spaces plenty of times. They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I've only gone to one conference um, in all nine years, and uh, it was a very carefully orchestrated event. Nice. Well played. Well played indeed. So question uh, back to let's, – let's kind of circle back to gaming here a little bit. So I got a couple of questions here that are I'm actually very very interested in why why do you think gamers in general it seems like their sentiment towards blockchain gaming is like unbelievably negative if you say anything about NFTs or like web3 gaming anything that's on the blockchain they tend to like just literally just do a beeline to like you know get out of here or start making fun of you or say something very like crude and then like do all of the above what are your thoughts on that? Why do you think regular traditional gamers like are so adverse to blockchain? Well, I'll say this as somebody who's worked in the video game industry for quite a while uh, in a previous life. Um, you know, gamers are, are pretty vocal about their displeasure in general. Um, you know, go back to just the traditional gaming world. Every time a, a major publisher changes a game, releases some news, there's a very loud group of people who are going to, uh, you know, let their let their opinion be heard. And I always reminded myself and the teams that I work with to not let that represent every gamer because it really doesn't. Um, but I think fundamentally the issue that I think is valid that gamers do have with um, blockchain related games and NFTs and games is that they fear new monetization models because they've been burned so many times before. When you think about loot boxes and free-to-play. Like, there's so many different schemes that big game publishers have implemented into their games to extract money from, from the players. And so it's, it's a little bit of just um, distrust. And when you think about, okay, there's this new, um, this new technology emerging. It's a new format for monetizing games. Um, and by the way, we're seeing people spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on this stuff you know, for, for internet JPEGs. Um, I get it. I get why they're skeptical. But the biggest reason I understand um, their fear is that they worry that if you introduce too much monetization into games and give players an ability to make money in games, that it's going to ruin the game. Meaning that um, people will come in and actually, you know, optimize against making money and extracting money in a game versus uh, playing the game for fun. And so that is a very valid criticism. And we just haven't had enough uh, examples of games that sort of, uh, you know, overcome that, that issue. Uh, unfortunately, some of the early examples of blockchain games um, have shown that, you know, those, those games are basically jobs and not necessarily games. 
And part of the reason is it takes a while to build games and the ones that go to market faster are the ones that are, you know, cheap and easy to make and um, don't necessarily, you know, design the game thoughtfully. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not the guy who's going to just discount uh, laggards who, you know, they don't, they don't get it right. They just don't understand where the future is going. Um, I embrace some of the criticism and accept that there's validity to it. Um, but, you know, I also uh, am, am going to be sort of the patient educator who explains the upsides. And, and my goal with, with Boardbox, and we can talk about it later, is really just to kind of highlight the games that I think are doing it right, are a good example of what blockchain games could bring to, to players and why it is actually beneficial to them uh, versus being the current status quo in gaming, which is, you know, publisher gets all the upside and players simply get the benefit of, you know, playing a fun game while they're putting tons of their, you know, hours and money and uh, heart into them. Yeah, I'm wondering, because I've spent, I've literally spent like months, and I'm talking like months in game, um, let's just say like Call of Duty Black Ops, Call of Duty Black Ops 2, those kind of games, you know, AAA titles, and I'm like, when are we going to see? When are we going to see something like that come onto blockchain? And, and in my opinion, um, what also, what other uh, would you say? Social, mobile, social games will come in first. Do you think, or, or just casual games will come in? Like basically, uh, you know, like Steam, Steam kind of like on um, you know games like that. Or do you see it as a AAA coming in and like just owning it? Because I think, um, to, in my opinion, until we have like a AAA. I don't think we'll really see this mass adoption where it's only, hey, we're only releasing this as a, a blockchain game. Like, I think that'll get, like, mass adoption. What are your thoughts on, like, you know, mobile, social, um, casual gaming, and, like, AAA, AA, all that stuff when it comes to blockchain? Yeah, well, and I think what you've pointed out is there, there are just so many varieties of, of games and, and levels of participation. Um, and so what, when I think of, like, you know, what is a gamer, it is not necessarily, you know somebody who only plays Xbox or PS5 or has like an overclocked, you know, gaming rig in their house. It could be somebody who just plays games on mobile. It could be somebody who plays Nintendo Switch at home with their family, you know, once a month. It could be, um, you know, uh, somebody who who plays, you know, uh, casual games in a browser. So, yeah, there, there, there's so many varieties. I mean, I think, you know, to the point I made earlier, game development takes time. AAA game development is like making a movie. It is three to four years. Um, as, as an angel investor in game studios, um, you know, I can tell you there are a lot of significant games with 50 to a hundred million dollar budget being produced right now. Um, but we're probably not going to see them till, you know, late 23, 2024. And so the problem we've kind of encountered is that in the like crypto slash NFT space, no one has any patience. They're like, you know, investing money into something or paying for, um, you know, these digital assets and they're expecting utility within months. And unfortunately, that's not realistic. So unlike uh, collectibles and art in the sort of NFT space where you might where you might see very quick returns if you make the right choice, um, games are, are much slower. It's, it's sort of a, a long tail play where you're investing in, in digital assets that will have utility that are that is far more significant, in my opinion, than just, you know, JPEGs and and, uh, you know, art. Um, but it's going to just take years for those for those to come to life. Um, so that, that's kind of where we're at. Uh, I'm exercising lots of patience. I'm building a company before the market is really mature, uh, and that's that's very much you know harder, I would say, than than going after kind of like the, the low hanging fruit of uh, of what you see right now in the NFT space. But 
I think it's the right call. And ultimately, I think that games are going to provide the most utility for the NFT space than any other uh, vertical. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I actually say that a lot. Um, obviously, you're more of an expert at it than I am. But uh, I definitely think when it comes to games, I think that's when we're going to start seeing people mass adopt. That's going to be the, the thing that brings the most people into the space for sure, 100%. And uh, until we're there, until we have that digital asset ownership where you can actually do like in-game assets on-chain and you actually own those assets, that's going to be where the rubber hits the road, as far as, as, far as I am concerned, at least. Yeah. And, and I will say, you know, it's not impossible for that to be the case um, in the current kind of Web2 games world. If, if tomorrow uh, Epic Games said, hey, in Fortnite, we're not going to allow players to, uh, you know, trade assets with each other. Uh, they could, you know, technically do that legally, you know, lots of issues there, but technically they could do it. Um, but I think to some degree, it's almost too late for for some of the traditional game publishers to go that route. They make a lot of money um, just selling people digital assets with no expectation of any kind of ownership. And until that stops, and it isn't stopping anytime soon, why make that shift, right? Culturally, from a company perspective, to this idea of like, let's give players, you know, the ability to transact with each other, um, they just don't feel like it's worth it. It's not worth the legal headache for them right now. And it's just, it, it's too big of a change. So, um, you know, I don't want to come in and, and be the guy who's like, oh, blockchain and NFTs are the only way the games industry is going to allow players to own their assets. There are other ways to do it. But I think that what we've seen is the, the game studios that are building from the ground up with blockchain in mind already have the right sort of mindset of um you know collaboration of player ownership and so that's why i think they're likely to win out in the long run versus the traditional studios yeah i agree i, I didn't really think of it like that but yeah if they already have that mindset they could actually still build a regular traditional game and still provide people people the ability to like own their assets it doesn't it doesn't have to be blockchain theoretically speaking so yeah yeah that's interesting yeah i never really thought of it that way until just now good point so in terms of uh, the board box, let's touch on the board box real quick. I, I, want to, I want to know everything about it. I think everybody wants to know everything about it. And then like what happens when the board, the, the box is empty also. <laughs> so um, if anybody remembers uh, using uh, products like Humble Bundle or the physical box uh, or the physical product called Loot Crate, um, this might sound somewhat familiar, but basically what we're doing is we're working with game studios and uh, selling an NFT box, which it, which contains um, game assets from a variety of games. So the whole the whole goal here is like we're curating um, games that are either live or, or coming soon, um, and introducing them to people who maybe don't have time to go and do that work themselves. So we're talking to game studio teams, we're demoing games, um, we're we're essentially acting as games curators. And um, the box is, is sort of two things. One, it's a, it's a collection of, of game items from these games that we're recommending. And they're also, um, you know, opportunities for us to kind of create these media moments where we have a big reveal day. We share what's inside of the boxes. We uh, interview the, the game studio leads. Um, we talk about games. We talk about uh, what people can do with these assets. So it's a little bit of a combination um, of, you know, a package of digital goods and then also content. And we're one of the few people that is really focusing on um, blockchain games from like a gaming perspective. Right now, when you go on YouTube and you look for blockchain game information, it's a lot of like investment related advice. Like, you know, you're gonna get rich playing this game. And we don't really talk about that. We don't talk about floor prices or 
you know, values of, of digital assets. We just talk about the traditional video game stuff. What's the story? What are the characters? What are the game mechanics? So we released our first box uh, in May. Um, it, it launched the same day Terra collapsed. So, you know, funny timing um, to launch a brand new business. But Definitely um, bad. I was going to say definitely bad timing. <laughs> you, you literally launched right into a bear market. Like, yeah, like, but what? that said, you know, we we our goal was to do an initial run of a thousand boxes at one ETH each, which you know obviously is premium pricing, um, and we've sold six hundred. So we're we're happy with the progress so far, and we're not really kind of judging ourselves by the typical NFT project metrics, which is like instant sellout and gas wars and all that stuff. We're we're right now looking at at it as we want to find people who really want to play games. They want to own their assets and their games. Um, and they're not degen flippers and nothing against that. Like I do it too. That's fine. That's a fun game too, trading JPEGs, but ultimately that's not our customer. And so we've been slowly methodically just finding the right people and getting our boxes into the hands of the people we want. Um, so our goal is to sell through those, of course, throughout this year, we're actually already planning out our second box with five brand new games that we'll be featuring. And we're, we're finalizing contracts with game studios and that'll launch later, uh, in the fall. So yeah, our goal is to, to drop a few boxes per year. Um, and uh, every time we do so, have a big uh, reveal day where we talk to the game studios and basically share what, what they're working on and, and what the games are all about. And you know, yes, the price point right now is, is fairly high for our Genesis box, um, but nobody has to pay anything to get the content. Like if you wanna learn about games and get recommendations, that's all public, that's all free. Uh, for those who do wanna participate and own boxes, they, they can. Um, and then just to answer your last question about what's the difference between a open box and a closed box. So basically you buy, you, if you mint a board box, uh, it comes packaged with five game items. So people can go to our site, claim those items and they get airdropped uh, to their wallets. Uh, our, our NFT itself, the board box will update once you do that and it'll show it as open. And so after that point, once you've kind of claimed all your stuff, the box itself simply becomes a game pass. You get access to our discord, you get airdrops of other game items from future partners that we get um, and other sort of priority access to um, to other items. So it, it shifts from being sort of an immediate package of goods to to being a mint pass. Um, so that's that's the general idea. We've built a really nice private discord community um, and are continuing to grow that slowly. We don't want it to be this place where there's tens of thousands of people yelling at each other. Um, we're we're developing a place where, you know, you can make friends, you can play games with each other. Um, and get recommendations on games to play. Yeah, I love that. That's that's actually really smart. You're basically choosing your audience in a way where, uh, I mean, in theory, you're kind of pricing some people out in a, and you're like curating the community by that alone, which is actually kind of a smart way because then you get people that are really dedicated and committed to like gaming. I actually it, see that. It was a very um, strategic choice to, to basically um, not appeal to flippers. That's that That was kind of the point. Um, we are going to reduce the price for the next box and continue to try to do that because that was the goal was making it, making it as accessible as possible. Um, I think of board box the same way I think about game design, which is, you know, you don't want to limit how many people can play your game. You want as many people to play as possible. And so reducing the price is really key to that. But, um, in terms of kind of scaling up, we very much are modeling what Tesla did, which is, you know, you release a car first, uh, an electric vehicle that's $150,000. And once you kind of are able to sell that consistently, you increase your volume and then you lower your price. And now they have cars that are, you know, 30, 40 or 50 K. So we're, we're taking that approach as well. 
um, and and hopefully it's the right one. But the the idea is like back to sort of that initial community. Your first hundred or thousand people that are you know in your community are going to set the tone for everybody who comes after that. So that's why we're we're building slowly and kind of filtering for the right kind of uh, community members because they're going to help us make sure that whoever joins afterwards. Um, understands kind of the feel and and sort of the the vibe of, of what we're going for. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. Um, it's definitely a very well thought out process. So hats off to you. How does yeah, a, thank, a, thank you, appreciate. Oh yeah, you're so welcome. Uh, how does how does someone like a game, a new game comes onto the market and they want to like work with you? Like, do they reach out to you and like what is your vetting process with that? Uh, yeah, I mean, some people have, have have come to us. We've we've done a very good job of of you know making connections and reaching out to game studios and getting recommendations. Also, the people in our Boardbox community recommend games all the time. But um, yeah, we're we're fairly easy to get a hold of. We have a section on our site where game studios can apply. Typically, um, you know, for our boxes, our goal is to meet with a hundred studios before we pick five that we ultimately work with. And we did that for the first box. And, you know, the vetting is essentially us first, you know, meeting with teams, getting to know them, their history, um, their past games that they've designed. If possible, we try to demo the games. Um, we try to read any sort of materials that are out there, watch videos to, to read what, you know, uh, players are, are saying about the game. So we definitely try to do the work so that, um, you know, others who have less time um, can feel like they can trust our recommendations. And um, and then finally, we kind of uh, filter for for genre, right? So we want every box to have a variety of game genres. We don't want, you know, a box that has five first-person shooters. The idea is you open the box, you know, there might be a racing game, a shooter game, a platform game, an RPG, and you might find, you know, one or two that you really like. And the ones that you don't, you can, you know, trade your assets with friends or sell them or do whatever you want. But, um, yeah, it's, it's very much like the, uh, you know, the subscription box idea where, you get something in the mail, you try samples of different things, and ultimately you'll find a few that you really enjoy. What happens like, uh, and, I, and I, this is this might be, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but what happens if a game studio comes in and like they're, they're building a game and, you know, they just don't quite make it to the end? And because I've definitely seen, I know I've been in games as well, so I've definitely made, I've had a couple of publishers like not make it to the end. And we'd have to have somebody else pick up the slack or we, we'd replace it with a different game, uh, different property. What happens if that, you know, one of these games doesn't make it and you're investing in this and it doesn't show up? It's, it's certainly a risk. I mean, one thing we try to shoot for is uh, working with games that are launching in the next six to 12 months. So we have already basically seen at this point that, you know, they've been building, they have uh, alpha footage to show, or they have some significant, um, you know, uh, artwork and, and, and game mechanics they can share with us. If you think back to Kickstarter, right? Like anybody who's backed games, especially on Kickstarter knows that a lot of those projects don't end up delivering either. They're super late. You get them like two years later, uh, or they just don't deliver at all. So there is a risk, but, um, you know, that's, that's our job, right. To do our due diligence and make sure we, we find game studios that we think will bring something to market. And ultimately, you know, when I co-founded this company, I decided I would put my reputation on the line. So I certainly don't want to recommend games that are, are not going to make it. That said, the bigger risk for me is uh, recommending games that end up being a full-on rug pull. That's something that I'm quite confident will never happen. If a game doesn't survive, I think, you know, if they're transparent about it and explain the reasons for why that happened, people will understand. It's a, it's a very hard industry um, and, and there are no guarantees. 
and then it's you know it's on us to sort of make that good with the community and certainly you know who we're who we're catering to right now which is a more premium buyer uh we would strive to to make sure that people are you know getting something in exchange for uh an item or a game studio that didn't deliver yeah I like that. And I like when you say premium buyer too, because I mean, at the end of the day, I did, I did hear another cast you ran and you were talking about how there was the Tesla Roadster and like, then there, then there was the model S and then there was the model three and you're in the, you're in the Tesla Roadster version of the uh, board box, right? Yeah. Well, and we are, we're in the Tesla Roadster phase. And the thing is, I mean, anybody who's been in the NFT, you know, space for the last two years knows that, well, one ETH is a lot. Um, there are plenty of other projects who have been charging, you know, half an ETH or an ETH for what is essentially, you know, uh, a, a JPEG, right? And so one thing we're proud of, and, and this isn't meant to like cast shade on anyone else, but one thing we're proud of is, you know, yes, people are are paying a premium, but they're getting something immediately, right? They're getting a box with, you know, something they can claim assets for basically several days after they buy it. Um, and since we've released our box, we've done um giveaways of of other game items for 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 board box owners so we feel like we've over delivered and honestly um our team and me in particular we just haven't advertised that very much because we're trying to build slowly and really prove ourselves first before we start uh over shilling ourselves like obviously i have a distribution mechanism i can i can you know talk a lot more about the details of, of this but again we don't we don't want to cater to degen flippers right the worst the worst situation for me would be talking about how much value we've brought to, to owners of Boardbox, and then instead of gamers, we basically just get investors. Like that's not who we want in our Discord. So we've kind of stayed quiet about what we've done. Um, but yeah, we're we're very much in the Tesla Roadster phase, trying to make sure those people are happy. And I think by the fall, we'll we'll be going to the uh, Model S uh, phase, if that makes sense in this analogy. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Well, I, I, it's definitely a good analogy as well. Question to you is, which, uh, how do you feel about the other side metaverse, like compared to, let's just say, some of the challengers, Sandbox, um, let's say Decentraland, which one do you think, do you really think other side has a really, really good chance of like making this, making what they're making right now happen? And uh, I don't know, maybe you have some insight that I'm not aware of, you know what I mean, in terms of like what they plan on, what they're working with. You know, I, I think for me, at least, it, it comes down to the team and it comes down to having a unique angle. I respect Improbable and Herman Arola, who, who leads that that team. Um, and the, the thing that really struck me as unique, um, that maybe isn't going to be novel for very long, but when I demoed the other side, just being in a gaming environment with thousands of people at the same time, as chaotic as it was and and, and a little messy... That was something that I've never experienced before in a game. You know, you might be with 50 people or 100 people max, and then a lot of games will sort of fake it to, to make it feel like you're with thousands of other people. But that that never has been something I have seen happen before. Um, so take away sort of the skin, right? The, 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 you know, the apes running around and all that stuff. That's That's fine. Like, that's interesting. But what Improbable has done in terms of concurrent users is something that I think will be um, really novel in terms of game design that we've never seen before. So I think they've got a good shot. Um, that said, you know, um, the other side has been hyped up to the nth degree. Uh, the the Board Ape Yacht Club has raised an enormous amount of money. Expectations are very high. So will it be an amazing experience? I think it will. 
Um, is it ever possibly going to, to meet the expectations of, of holders and, and people in, in the gaming community? I don't know. I, I'd say that'd be a very hard task to meet. Yeah, it feels it feels like almost insurmountable to like meet expectations right now, just because people have such high expectations at this point. It did. Uh, I have to admit, the the demo did look a lot like Ready Player One that movie, and I was just like, holy! Like basically the theory of that, where everybody was just like battling and and all at the same time. It just felt it felt very much on par with that, and I didn't I didn't think I'd ever see that uh, in my lifetime. <laughs> Yeah, and in, in speaking, you know, with Herman several times, uh, and I think he said this publicly, the idea is like that that experience you had with the other side will just be one of many that are similar to that, where you can kind of just jump in between them. And what's really going to change then is it's like the IP, the skins, the look and the feel. Um, there's just going to be all these different worlds that you can kind of take your character to. And that's going to require a lot of collaboration and, you know, games and and, and folks wanting to work together. Like that's... That's ultimately what's what's needed. Um, it's not technology that has been stopping that from happening, right? It's not the the, the reason like you see all these different um, characters and uh, skins from movies and TV shows in Fortnite is not because it wasn't technologically possible. It was because a bunch of lawyers had to agree on a million terms and allow that to happen. And that's how the old sort of the old school you know video games world works. Um, but the, the the culture of, of Web three games kind of assumes that from the start of like, yeah, I want my stuff to be in your game and your game to, you know, your stuff to be in my game. Let's just make that be the norm. And so I think the other side was a good example of, of what that might look like, but it's still quite early because, you know, it wasn't really even a game. It was just kind of a demo. Yeah, I totally agree. Question about metaverses and, uh, you know, other side versus the other metaverses. Do you, the way I see it is, and this is just my opinion, I could see uh, kind of like an Apple TV where you keep changing. You can change a channel, like from Netflix. You can you can go to the the platform, you know, Amazon Prime Video. You could go to Disney. You can do all those. Do, can you imagine a world where you're switching between channels like that, but they're metaverses and you're jumping in between those metaverses? Yeah, I think that's a. I, I like that idea of channels. Like uh, different, you know, different environments are different channels that you can basically spend time in. Um, you know, in, in this analogy, Netflix is, is the metaverse, right? Or like your Roku player is the metaverse, I guess, but, um, that's not a good thing, right? You don't, you don't even want to have one option there. So yeah, I, I, I think it's basically like every, every metaverse, if we're going to call it, that is a platform. It will have its own distinct rules and physics and IP that are allowed in it, in it. Um, and, and that's where people can just choose to spend time. Um, yeah, I, I think that's probably the, the future we're going to see. And of course, uh, ultimately, there will be too many. And uh, much like on your, you know, your video player, you're going to have three or four that you really like. So it'll be Hulu, Netflix, and, and HBO. And the rest you probably won't have time for. Yeah, and I think right now, I think we see a big battle of like the metaverse metaverses. It, it feels like one, like literally like nine out of 10 companies right now are developing a metaverse, it feels like. And like when, when's, uh, when, like, how do we figure out like when's enough? It's almost just like everybody's trying to like make something that's very, very, very difficult to make because games in general take years to make, especially, you know, even with unreal, uh, tournament engines and, and unity engines and things like that, that actually help you along the way. It still takes forever to build these games. Like, I don't understand like why there are so many people 
building so many games out there, metaverse games especially, or just separate metaverses on their own chains and all that other stuff. And do you see this as more of a kind of like the uh, call to like venture capital, like VR was back in like 2016, 2017, where it was like, we have VR, you know what I mean? Like where it was very cliche, like just to say you were doing, you were working on VR to get money, or do you think this is people actually trying to really build out like a metaverse of their own? I think in an ideal state, people who are investing in the space want or like the idea of maximizing the amount of t- attention and time that someone can can spend, um, you know, with with them, right? With this with this platform, and I think that's a that's a tough bet because the reality today is people's attention is dispersed across, you know, multiple devices. Like you're literally on your phone and watching television at the same time. Maybe you have a laptop open as well. And now we're talking about building these, these immersive worlds where you're kind of shutting everything else out and spent, and, and you're spending four to five hours plus in, in, you know, in these kind of game environments, it just doesn't really seem realistic. And so ultimately I think there are going to be a few that, that win out. And I think the business model is that, they don't need to have hundreds of millions of users um, because they can't, because most people are just not going to give the time and attention to really immerse themselves in these spaces. And instead they're building these worlds for a hundred thousand or a million high value customers who, unlike your average Netflix subscriber are willing to spend, you know, a thousand or $10,000 a year uh, versus a couple of hundred. I think that that's probably how this is going to be sustainable or it's all going to fall apart. Yeah. I, I keep thinking, I'm like, uh, I've talked to so many people that have reached out to me at least about, oh, we're building a metaverse. Oh, we're building. A-. I mean, it's like everybody's building a metaverse. And it's like, there's just no way like you guys are all building metaverses and this is, this is going to work out for you. So uh, I'm guessing like nine out of 10, maybe even like nine and a half out of 10 are not going to work out. And it's just going to be three major players. Like you just said, like you're going to have your three favorite big players that have the money the users all that stuff that you know the usability the playability all that stuff in line so that you know they stick around like the disney channel you know what i mean so yeah and and i, I think it's worth noting that uh unlike you know uh video properties like a disney or, or netflix um they're not a lot of these folks are not building with established ip they're basically saying here's a platform bring your ip into it and then what is the differentiating factor that makes your metaverse better than somebody else's? Um, that's, that's a harder sell. I think that's really tricky. So the advantage, you know, that you have with something like another side is they have this IP, obviously it's fairly new year and a half old, but nonetheless, it's got an extremely fervent uh, fan base. So they've got that going for them. But yeah, I mean, if you're building sort of a blank slate and then, you know, hoping that you become the, the platform that people use over others, um, it's, it's a very competitive space to be in. And clearly there's hundreds of millions of investment dollars going into, into each of them, making sure, you know, that that's making sure they're all, you know, fully equipped to handle other people's creativity. So, um, it's not a bet I would make as an investor. I would rather invest in IP, frankly, that, that you can kind of plug into a lot of different places, but, uh, it seems like more dollars, unfortunately, are going into kind of the picks and shovels and selling tools instead of selling the actual creative elements of of the future of, of web3 yeah that's a that's a great analogy also i mean that's that's who made money during the gold rush anyway so yeah that's i, I think the tools is where it's at and uh i wonder if do you think disney 
and companies like Disney that already have their IP, do you think they have this like, very big advantage ahead of some of these new metaverses that are like being pumped out right now? Like Disney could actually maybe acquire one or actually not just acquire one, but you know, uh, build one from scratch themselves and they already have all the IP and no one has to really, they don't have really have to do anything except for just like leverage their own IP inside their own metaverse. Do you think that's more of an option? Do you think they're even thinking about that right now? I think they are thinking about that. Um, I think they're thinking about it wrong because they want to own everything. And instead they should probably be thinking about how they can take their IP that they've already built and release it into other places and just get licensing fees and royalties for it indefinitely. That's a way cheaper option, but I, I think most of them are going to try to build. And yeah, I mean, they're going to steal a lot of attention uh, away from 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 others who are kind of starting from from scratch. That that is inevitable. But I don't think we're we're there yet. I think that's going to be more of an issue two to three years from now because you know these companies move slowly, um, and there's also a lot for them to lose. Uh, again, going back to this idea of attention, it's probably more valuable for Disney for you to be going to their parks and watching their movies and TV shows than it is for you to be hanging out for five hours, running around, talking to your buddies and Mickey Mouse. Um, that's not very profitable yet. So um, I think that's why this is going to not go as fast as people think. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I think there's a... I think the other side is going to take a, while, a, while, a lot longer than people are imagining right now just because you know they're used to the NFT market. Like you said earlier, it uh, moves so quickly. Uh, this the game, you know, game development is so much slower and it just takes so much longer with like so many more people to like develop things. So uh, obviously technology has moved a lot f- further, you know, uh, since like 2014, 2015, 2016, but it still takes a while. How long do you think it would take to build out like a, an other side, the 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 right way from like the time they showed the demo. When do you, how long do you think it will take to build something like that out? I think there's at least like twelve to eighteen months to go. To be honest, it's it's a lot. It's a lot of work. Um, and what we saw was you know five thousand people at the same time. You know, imagine if they're running it fifty thousand, a hundred hundred thousand, a million. Um, there's there's a lot of infrastructure to build up, and uh, at the same time, you know that's going to be very expensive and how are they bringing money in? So um, yeah, I I think it's going to take a while. I mean, from my own experience, just, you know, designing smaller games, like, you know, that can take a year or more. Um, So I, I, again, I think this goes back to the idea that expectations are so high and there's a very um, short amount of patience in this space. So it's, it's unfortunate and unfair. Um, And on my end, you know, when we're talking about our game partners, we're, we're, we're continuing to try to remind people of realistic timelines and what it takes to build games, because it is very much like, you know, a motion picture. Like it takes years um, to bring it to market and hopefully the results are are great. And honestly, I have to say like, um, you know, not that I feel too sorry for game publishers, like the bigger traditional game publishers, but it does kind of stink for the, for the people, um, you know, the artists and the designers who are working on video games. When, when that game ends up being, you know, a flop for, for business decisions, um, it stinks to see like the games get dragged through the coals because a lot of people did put their hearts and souls into it and it wasn't their fault, you know, that maybe it was a flop. Um, so yeah, I, I try not to kind of pile on to that type of negativity and going back to our original, you know, discussion, um, earlier gamers are not shy about expressing their, uh, displeasure. Yeah, that's definitely true. Absolutely. Um, all right. So if a game, a game wanted to come and like, 
get into the board box for distribution through your uh, your channels? Like, what would they need to do to like just reach out to you and DM you? Is there like a place they can go to like submit? Yeah, on, on boardbox.io, we have a, a submission uh, form for, for game studios who are interested or just tweet me. I mean, I'm pretty good about that. So, um, yeah, we, we're always looking for potential partners. We In between boxes, we also just like to give away items and, you know, highlight uh, potential games that people should be watching out for. So very much open to that. Yeah, okay, that's great. I was going to say, I, know, I definitely know people that are building games right now and i'm sure they would love to get the distribution of uh you know obviously board elon over here so i'll definitely i'll definitely let them know yeah thank you appreciate it <laughs> yeah it's my pleasure hey pixel i see your upgrade you uh you have a question pixel lord yeah hello hey, questions for board elon jim uh yeah maybe we can discuss um, for example um ai type of things how do you see artificial intelligence in the games in the nft space did you guys discuss it i think i, I see it's very very uh, growing really fast these days especially in, in art space as you know dali and stuff like that stable diffusion all this generative ai artworks and we will see much more, especially maybe uh, AI gaming bots. Maybe it's already happening. Maybe like we will we'll get some, you know, AI intelligence sort of in the games because right now it's it's very clearly just the scripts in, you, in the games when you're playing. You don't feel that you're connected to some kind of characters. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited for it. I think to your point, when you play a game like Grand Theft Auto, the the designers do their best to make it feel like a living, vibrant city, right? With like music playing on the radio and people talking on the street on the streets. But that is all a script, and it's just a loop over and over. And once you play kind of through the single player version, um, you're done, right? And so that's why a lot of these types of games have eventually released multiplayer versions, where then you have humans interacting with each other and kind of creating a new reason for you to come back. So first of all, you know, as somebody who plays a lot of one-player games, I think it's really interesting to, to have this idea of AI inside of games instead of um, scripted, you know, NPCs where, you know, every time you play, you could, in theory, have a completely different storyline because they learned from how you played um, and reacted to, to your play style. Um, that's super fascinating, extends the life of video games, um, which is really important because when you think about um, massive games that are very expensive to make. Most recently, you know, Elden Ring is an example. Like if you could play that game three times and each game was different because AI um, was, you know, changing the storyline in a way, um, that's that's pretty cool. Although maybe for the publisher, that's bad because you're not buying other games now. You're replaying the same one. But um, for multiplayer games, I think it's equally as, as interesting. Like ultimately, even in a multiplayer game, um, humans are not going to be the mundane characters in the background. Those are still scripts. So again, this is where AI could be really interesting and add more vibrancy to, to the environment. And, you know, you can have situations where um, you enter a, a multiplayer game or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, there could be 10,000 people playing at one time or there could be five, right? And so AI can sort of make up for and fill in the space. So it still feels like a fun game where you're interacting with others um and not necessarily you know in this in this kind of completely scripted environment so i think yeah very interesting you know 
avenues. I think it's going to be great for gaming. Um, again, I think we're a bit off. I mean, there are not a lot of examples of this in, in the wild yet. Um, I've been pretty excited about what uh, Altered State Machine is working on with their uh, brains and how those are going to be implemented into other games. I think we'll see a, a lot of examples next year uh, on what that looks like. Um, but yeah, I, I think net positive for for video games and uh, and uh, you know a little scary for other parts of, of life outside of video games. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering, you know, that's funny that you brought that up, Board. That's actually a brilliant spot for. I used to spend so much time waiting for like players to spawn in game lobbies. You know what I mean? Like, and it would just wait and wait and wait. People would jump in and then they would kick out. And I was always like, Oh my God, just fill it in with some, some kind of bot or something. You know what I mean? Like put in something so I can actually play the game. And uh, I could see AI definitely taking for sure, taking advantage and they can just like, it could de- detect your game level of play and then throw in a couple of bots to take the spot of like p- people who are not joining that that lobby so you can actually play the game. So I think that's actually, I never even really thought of that until just now. It's, it's kind of brilliant. Yeah. I mean, it's an advanced version of, of like a chess robot, you know, that's, that's a much simpler thing to program because you have kind of a finite set of moves when you're talking about this immersive world and, you know, characters that maybe speak and have dialogue. Um, it gets a lot harder, but um, that is, yeah, that is exciting where, you know, you can essentially play a game and not feel like you are alone in that world. Um that is that to me is a very exciting place. Yeah, I love that. I, I have a question for you. Do, do you are you a big console game player? Of uh, what's the oldest console you've played, and uh, <laughs> have you played the newest? Have you, have you played the newest console as well? Because I have a I have a couple of questions for you right after that. Are literally going to be kind of like rapid fire, and let's see if you can uh, like see what your favorite games are. Yeah, yeah. So I definitely prefer consoles um, over playing on on a PC because uh, I just like to be disconnected from the internet, which is a is, is very distracting. Um, a little bit of mobile, but yeah, consoles are where where it's at for me. And then um, you know, in terms of oldest one I've played, whew, I mean, Atari twenty six hundred. Technically, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we I did that. Yeah. I posted, yeah, I posted a a game from uh, from my childhood. But yeah, I mean, Atari twenty six hundred was technically my first. Uh, that was a hand-me-down. Uh, the first one I ever bought with my own money was uh, the PlayStation 1. All right, good. With that said, I'm going to ask you some just really quick questions, and I'm sure you'll have them off the top of your head. You'll probably have multiples, but I'm just going to start with first Nintendo. What was your favorite game? Mm, Castlevania. Oh, wow. <laughs> I like that. Awesome. I like that. Okay, um, Sega Genesis. Oh man. Okay. So there was this really rare game called Skitchen. Uh, basically you, you, you wore rollerblades and you were like going down the highway and the whole thing was you grabbed the back of cars and then oh, other people awesome. would try to grab on the cars, like and <laughs> kind of punch you and get you off of it. But it was very like nineties vibe uh, video game that very few people have heard of. So that's my, that's my contribution. Yeah. I've not heard of that game at all. And I, I play games like, Addicted the games, so I love it. Never heard that one. That's a, that's a good one. Okay, so uh, Super Nintendo. Ah uh, man, um, one of the Final Fantasy games. I don't know. I can't pick. I like I like Japanese RPGs, and that that system had a lot of them. All right, N sixty four. Smash Brothers. Wow. Okay. All right. It's a good party game. Let 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 out your I'm a golden eye guy. Okay. Oh, you know, yeah. That you know what? I'm changing my answer. Goldeneye. 
first game I ever won money playing was Goldeneye. I won two G's uh, back in the day. So, okay. Did they did they separate the screens on on different like uh, TVs, or did you put a piece yep. of cardboard between them? Yeah, yeah. We for, well, I used to play with just the same screens, but um, we also separated the screens for the two G win. So yeah, I had to separate screens for sure. Very nice. All right, here we go. You ready? PlayStation One. Uh, Twisted Metal. Oh, solid choice. Oh, my God. Love that game. So good. All right, PS2. Uh, Gran Turismo, the full series, uh, just sunk so many hours into, yeah, working my way up and trying to master that that game. All right, here goes the big one, PS3. (sighs) You're online Uh, now, man. You're online. S- <laughs> SSX, yeah, super, super snowboarder cross, kind of like the Tony Hawk of snowboarding. Really, really great game. Nice. That's that's a good choice. You play uh, Xbox at all? Because I'm not a really, I'm more of like a PlayStation guy myself, and an Xbox. Guy. Yeah, no, not really. I was, I was always uh, on on PlayStation as well. Uh, I did stop at PS3, so I don't have an answer for PS4. That's okay. That's um, okay. I was gonna yeah. stop right there anyway. Really, I was gonna say if anything. What's what's your like the newest? What's the like your most favorite game you're currently playing right now? Uh, blockchain um, or not blockchain? Doesn't matter. Whichever one you want. Yeah, I mean traditional game. I, I really fell in love with the Switch. Um, I love that you know you can just kind of take it around the house and go on the plane with it. Um, and there's this great little game called Mario and Ra- Mario Times Rabbids, and it's sort of a strategy game similar to like XCOM, and um, it's like a turn-based uh, fighting game, and uh, it's it's really great. Um, it's sort of un it doesn't have the the respect that I think it deserves, but Mario Times Rabbids is a, is a fantastic strategy game. This is great. I, I love that we record, I'm recording this space too, because I'm going to be trying these games that you're talking about for sure. And I'm going to report back. Yeah. And on the <laughs> blockchain side, um, I, a really like best in class example that I have enjoyed recently is uh, EB.io. It's a first person shooter. It works in the browser. It doesn't force any kind of blockchain on you. You can just jump in and play. And if you want to buy assets and you know earn money, you can, but it's not by any means required. Right. So, so it's a free to play, and then you can just you can do you can do a play to earn if you want to. Yep. Nice, great model. I think that's a really really solid model. I think that should. I think that's what most games should be: is free to play until, and if you want to get into the blockchain side, you can. You know, absolutely. Like, a really yeah. good model. And and I and I tweeted something to this effect the other day, but basically, if any of the big publishers and games want to um, add blockchain elements uh to their to their platform you know my recommendation is the the easiest way to get people who are sort of naysayers on board is um prompt them with you know essentially a reward for their years of of uh of play right so like oh you've been playing this game for three years um if you want optionally you can claim x number of tokens and you know those are worth some 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 money um and basically you know even the, the the most uh you know, sort of very, very, I can't say the word, you know, people who hate NFTs and and blockchain and games, like they're still going to be a little bit intrigued about that, right? Being able to claim all these assets for free based on, on, on play that they've, they've put into that, that particular title. I think that's kind of the the unlock that's really going to get a lot of people on board. Um, Haven't really seen any examples of that yet, but yeah, it doesn't need to be rammed down people's throat. Uh, It just needs to be presented as an option. And I think eventually that will win over enough hearts and minds. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's definitely a, a definitely a really good model. Hey, boy, howdy! I see you up here. Do you have a, a question for uh, board? Boy, howdy! I just wanted to say, board, you have killer taste in video games, and now I'm going to have to go get the board box. Thanks a lot. 
<laughs> You're welcome, and I'm sorry. <laughs> Have a banana. You know, it's funny. Every um, a friend of mine I've been talking to a lot, uh, uh, Brooks Brown, he's a great game designer. Uh, he Every time we talk, he recommends like five or six games, like tabletop games and video games. And I, I end up being like $400 you know, poorer every time I talk to him because I go on Amazon and buy everything he tells me to buy it's, or you know that he recommends. It's a problem. My, my backlog of games to play is extremely high. Um, and so I have this vision of my, my quote unquote retirement just being that, like, I'm going to stop working and I'm just going to play all these games that I haven't had time to play in, in my earlier life. And just write games. Yeah, on them. <laughs> yeah. So many cool games on Switch. I, I, I usually buy them sometimes and just, just, um, open it once, <laughs> but they're so good. And there's so, so much time you need to play all these games. Indie games are awesome. Really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And then I guess the last shout out game would be uh, Rocket League. I just love it. You know, you can jump in for 10 minutes. It's soccer and it's cars. Uh, it's it's kind of the the itch that Twisted Metal gave me. Like there hasn't been a new vehicular combat game in a very long time. So for me, Rocket League is uh, is the answer to that. Yeah. Have you new Ninja Turtles game? It's, it's awesome. It's like old school. Really cool. Yeah, haven't checked it out. We'll take a look. Yeah, just yeah. Uh, <laughs> he'll spend it again. <laughs> I really, I'm a huge fan of Twisted Metal. I, I mean, I've literally spent probably a year of my life playing Twisted Metal with my brother. So, I mean, there's no doubt about it. That's probably one of the best games ever made is Twisted Metal 1 and 2. So, good choices, board. Good choices, my friend. So, again, if you guys want to buy a board box, I mean, you got to go to, what was the, you want to go mint a board box? You want to tell them one more time where to go get it? Yeah, it's uh, boardbox.io to mint a new one that is unopened. And uh, there are also opened ones on secondary. If people want to just grab one in order to join our community, um, they can do that as well and be eligible for, for other giveaways. So both options are out there. If anyone has questions, like tweet me. I'm always very open to to, to answer questions and provide clarification. And if nothing else, um, you know, I'm just trying to put out... Um, helpful recommendations and, and content out there, uh, which does not require any kind of purchase. So I appreciate the follow. Yeah. Board's awesome. I, I definitely vouch for them. And when the box is empty guys, after you get your you know, DLC or whatever he's going to send you, the, the, the box actually acts as like an access key to the discord and to the communities and to future whitelist drops uh, future stuff in the like just stuff in the future that's going to be really really worth your while. I know for a fact because I vouch for board and he's a, a legit guy in the space. I've been following him for years and years, and he again, I I, I can't recommend some more highly than I can recommend him right now. So, oh, thank you for that. Going. I appreciate that very much. No, absolutely my pleasure, man. Absolutely my pleasure. One of these days we're going to be IRL friends, man. This is where, <laughs> it's one of my happen. Yeah, this is definitely going to happen, my friend. For sure. So with that said, uh, thanks for taking the time to spend with us right now. Thanks for answering questions. I know you probably answered them a thousand times, but it's always good to hear them from the horse's mouth. And uh, yeah, I'm excited, man. I'm excited for what you're doing. And I, I can't wait to uh, do this again, maybe in another six, 12 months. And we can figure out like where you, where, where you guys are with like the board box and where you see gaming by then. And uh, yeah, yeah, man. It'd be, a, it'd be a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for coming out on a Wednesday. So appreciate it again. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye.